For most of my life, I took airplanes for granted. I knew what it was like to fly in a plane as a kid, going on a few of those obligatory family trips to Disney and similar spots. I knew some basics about the plane, obviously, just like any of us. They have two wings, they have a tail, they use some kind of science to fly, lift, drag, stuff like that. But as for how a plane actually works, I couldn't even begin to explain it to you. Not back then and not now, even though I'm on planes like twice, three times a month to give speeches. If I'm being honest, I kind of take for granted that a plane can even exist. And when you really think about it, it's pretty magic that a plane can exist. It's a massive feat of human willpower and creativity. When I wrote my first book last year, my eyes were opened to a similar reality. We all know what books are. We can all guess at what it takes to make, kind of. There's some research, some writing, an idea or a story worth writing about, and I guess lots of time to do it. But we take for granted the fact that books exist. And when you think about it, it's pretty magic that a book can exist. Here's this massive undertaking, another feat of human willpower and creativity. And while the end experience makes us go, yeah, of course, this is a thing. We don't really know or even appreciate all the parts and pieces that go into making it possible. Author and speaker Joey Coleman once said, writing a book is like running a marathon to reach the start of another marathon. That first marathon is the writing process. And man, oh man, does it take a lot just to reach the point where the book physically exists. But then you reach the start of that second marathon, the distribution, getting it out into the world, marketing it, promoting it, selling it, moving the product you so painstakingly created. That is like an entire full-time job. In fact, it is a full-time job for plenty of full-time authors. And so... When a project feels like running a marathon to reach the start of a second marathon, why in the hell would a team of marketers with a million things going on at work set out to write a book? This is Exceptions, the show about why brand matters more than ever in B2B. This is a special edition, too, because normally we go inside a B2B company to understand how they think about brand or customer experience. But today, we go inside the making of the book, Conversational Marketing. It's a new book by Drift, which is the co-producing partner with me on this show. Uh, You see that Seeking Wisdom original graphic on our cover art? That's Drift's podcast network, Seeking Wisdom. And I sat down with the VP of Marketing at Drift, Dave Gerhardt, to talk about why exactly... Drift decided to write a book, and what exactly goes into creating such a thing, and how it can springboard your brand. I haven't told this to anybody, but um, two summers ago, two summers ago, I wrote a proposal and I pitched a book idea to a couple different publishers, and nobody took it. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody accepted it. Welcome to writing books, my friend. Totally, it's it's a it's a great process, and. Um, you know, we we wrote up the proposal. We had a li- we had early traction in the market. You know, we had a nice little buzz going, but it wasn't enough where I could I could uh, basically you know how this is now, Jay. Like if, having written a book, but like part of the book process was like we had to show the publisher here's how, here's what we're going to do to promote this book, right? Uh, here, here's how we're going to promote it. Here's what we're going to do. Here's our audience and. 
there just wasn't enough there yet, and there wasn't enough social proof of it. Where then, when I when I pitched the, I basically came back to them uh, probably about a year ago this time and said, "Hey, it's me again. Can I have another crack at this?" And they're like, "Sure, go ahead." And I was like, "Well, now we do this and this and this and this, and then we have this customer and this." And then, and I think that was when we also had a clearer story around it too. And and I think that that's when it really changes is we had the we had the social proof from the market from our customers from our community. Um, Plus, we had kind of two, three years of, of revving on this idea. And so it was really crystal clear. When I initially pitched this book idea, we hadn't yet even called it conversational marketing. It was like more about how messaging was eating the world and it was a little bit fluffier. It's it's much more concrete now. Um, and, you know, had an amazing, uh, had an amazing, uh, you know, help writing this uh, with, with, with Eric, who who helped really put this thing together. Eric Devaney, who used to work on the content team at Drift and was hired to ghostwrite this book. And kind of stitched together all the ideas. Because I think, you know, I think what, what was really cool to me about this process is it's basically like the it's the stitching together of a lot of things that that have been said over the couple of years that that was like whoa this this makes a book it's it's the, the ability to tell one story with all with with three years of different things from from front to back which was a lot of fun where uh when was the last time you had to go through a gatekeeper quite like going through publishers you know i feel like when you're working at a tech company in particular especially a newer one that's like building a new movement like a lot of things seem greenfield you can just yeah. attack them there really are no gatekeepers or you're doing something to remove them <laughs> Then you go and publish a book. Like, what was that like? It was, um, it, it wasn't great. <laughs> it, it wasn't great. Uh, it wasn't great. But it, it, I, I think there's a uh, book publishers and analyst firms were, are the two, <laughs> two industries that have a lot of things in common. Uh, I don't want to, I, I don't want to knock Wiley. It's actually been an incredible experience. And, and there's two people over there, uh, that, that I've worked with really closely over the last couple of months, um, that have, that have made this great, but it, you know, it's obviously the, the process of, of getting, you know, getting things out the door. And, and we, we made the decision to go, to go with a publisher because, you know, I think it's going to help us get the biggest reach out of this thing as possible. And, and I actually think of, you know, we wrote the book, not because we want to write it for a year and get some PR buzz out of it and go away. Like to me, the book is the most timeless thing you could write. And I think about myself and how I learn. I, because there's too much noise today and too much fake news and information, I'm now like biasing my learning towards things that have withstood the test of time. And so it's almost an investment of like, Hey, write it. Let's have it marinate, and I and I hope that you read this book in five years and ten years, and and obviously the goal for us is to write you know an updated version and and this and that, um, but I hope that it's still more relevant than ever ten years you know fifteen years from now. Yeah, there's something to be said about this. Is like my New Year's resolution for content consumption. It's very simple. It's slow media, right? Like if it's uh, you panic read your feed and you're like, well, I might miss a gem, but I think those gems tend to bubble up into yeah. the eventual book, or yeah. you just see them a time. Like the the great stuff has a way of rising to the top, but also staying there. And so a book is one way to consume what I'd call slow media because, like you said, it has a shelf life, mm. which means it's worth having that shelf life. It's not a top forty hit that then goes away next month i love the term slow media and that's a good way of that's a great way of putting it so it's funny i had this i was on i was on a train to new york um last weekend and the train was delayed and you know when you're on a train to new york like 
they don't give you enough. They don't give you a lot of information. The, the conductor is like the, the worst marketer of all time. He's like, yep, I got some bad news. We're going to be here. <laughs> and I don't know how long. And, and so, so it's funny because I hear that. That's literally the only thing that, that we, anybody on the train, that's all they know is that we're stuck here for some amount of time. And then I'm listening and, and five, six people start making calls behind me. And the story just gets made up. They're like, yeah, you know, we're stuck here because there's some power lines out. We might be be here for two hours. Another person says, I think we're going to be here for 30 minutes. Doesn't look that bad. And I'm like, this is exactly what happens on Twitter, right? Like people take one little line and they just, they now have read the article. And so I'm totally with you is on the slow media thing. It's like, I'd rather, I'd rather learn more from fewer select sources like books. and, and, And I've been doing that recently. It's been amazing. So. So I earn a living in three different ways. I write books, I host and executive produce original series for brands, kind of like this one, and I give keynote speeches. And something I learned early on as a public speaker that most people don't talk about ties directly to what I've learned about writing books. And quite frankly, both of those things, paid public speaking and writing books as a profession, are still somehow relatively black box material when you compare it to most industries that have been gratuitously blogged about online. So here's the deal. There's this common misconception that when you want to secure a speaking gig, the thing you need to pitch is your fame, social media followers, a title like bestseller or executive of big brand XYZ. Or if it's not the fame that does it, it must be the speech itself, the big idea and some kind of unbelievable performance of that idea. So here's a 45 minute video of me talking. Do you want me to talk this talk to your attendees? But in reality, especially when it comes to moving a prospect from interested to closed contract, what you really sell as a speaker is the speech blurb, a brief description intended to both explain the value and intrigue or motivate people to attend the talk. And you customize that blurb for the client. That blurb is what tips a gig from prospect call to closed contract. It's the very same thing when you want to write a book through a traditional publisher. What you sell isn't necessarily your fame or your success, unless you're like a legitimate celebrity and then they just want you. Instead, what really closes the deal is what they call a book treatment. Yeah, so so basically we had, we had to like, I think it was you know it was almost like an eight to ten page plan, marketing plan slash proposal, and so um, the first two three pages of it are here's why the world needs this book. And it is, and, and for us, we're speaking to people, but we're speaking to businesses, right? There, there's not a difference in my mind, but but to, to the publisher, they want to, they, they publish business books. And so it is it is a distinction, right? And so, and and they're always, as a publisher, it, it was really about like getting inside their mind, right? Like what, what do they care about? They want to sell books, right? Sure, we want to sell books also, but they want to sell books to business people. They want to sell books to that busy, um, busy, you know, person walking through the airport that sees a book on the shelf at Hudson News and is like, "Oh, I'm going to grab this before my flight." And so, we really tried to lean into like this. Uh, I don't know if you ever talked to Andy Raskin, but he has he has a great framework for for telling stories about companies. And basically, it all starts with like showing the big shift, the big change, the big enemy that exists. And so hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just pick apart what Dave just said, because a huge part of any great brand is their story. And a huge part of our stories usually goes missing. The key to what Dave just talked about, courtesy of brand messaging and story consultant Andy Raskin, is the enemy, the conflict, 
We often omit that part of a story when we tell, I guess, stories as marketers, but without conflict, we don't actually have a story. Conflict presents what's at stake. It's the enemy, it's the friction, it's the intrigue, and that's used to inspire or rally or to get people leaning forward to make other people care. Stories just contain three different parts when you distill them all the way down to their most basic essentials. A status quo, some conflict or tension you introduce to that status quo, and a resolution. Status quo, conflict, resolution. That's a story, but the missing piece so often in our work as marketers is conflict, but that's what a story is. Introducing conflict or tension or an enemy is creating what we call in the biz an open loop. Open loops are basically when you explain that something is happening and you raise the stakes, you get people intrigued as you go up that loop, but then you don't resolve it. You don't close the loop and our brains crave that completion, the resolution part of the story. So here's an example of an open loop. I walked into my kitchen to make a coffee this morning, but something caught my eye out the window. What? What was it? I didn't give you any interesting details at all. That's such a mundane thing I just did. I walked to my kitchen to make a coffee in the morning. It's boring. Until I introduced something open-ended, some conflict, some tension. I didn't close the loop. What is out that window? We are all in the business as marketers today of telling stories, which means we are all in the business of communicating the conflict. It doesn't need to be quite so large as a giant industry disruption. It can be as simple as saying the word but more often when we write or speak. But way too often, we don't. As marketers, we shy away from using conflict or a quote-unquote enemy in our brand stories. Why? I don't know. Maybe we're afraid of seeming negative? But think of some of the most upbeat and beloved children's stories. In The Lion King, Mufasa literally gets trampled to death, Simba gets exiled, and his mother and girlfriend get enslaved. The itsy-bitsy spider went up the water spout, but did he make it happily up there and everything was hunky-dory? He would have if it was a brand story, but our little eight-legged friend almost drowned. And then there's a book I read to my three-month-old daughter. It's called Where's Spot? Do I, do I need to spell out the conflict there? Okay, fine. So, so it's where's spot. You get it. You get it. My point is that we need to embrace that enemy, that conflict or tension to tell legitimate stories. And when you write a book, you really need to dive into that problem, that conflict, that tension. You really have to explore it and flesh it out in a big, broad way, not just leap right to your solution. Dave and the team at Drift understand that, and it shaped how they opened their book. We didn't talk about bots. We didn't talk about chat bots. We didn't talk about conversation marketing. We talked about the big change in the world that is happening, which is that as people, we all expect answers now, but most businesses treat you like you have to wait till later. Fill out this form and we'll wait for later. A great book a demo for 2 p.m., Thursday when my rep is available. And so we we sold them that. And then we said, so here's the big change that's happening in the world. Here's the problem. And here's how we're solving it. Um, Another pattern that we use for everything, which which we stole from, from Steve Jobs, is he had a really simple framework for telling stories, which was pose a pro- like tell a story to hook the reader, pose a problem, uh, show examples, uh, state the solution, and then close. 
And so we just kind of followed that and said, like, big change happening in the world. Here's how we solve it. Here's why. And then after that, then it's got to be like, and here's how we're going to get this book out to the masses. We have, you know, our conference, Hypergrowth, which is going to reach 10,000 people this year. We have a podcast, which is going to reach 50,000 people. We have this, we have this, we have this. We're speaking at all these different events. And so we had to show them, like, good story distribution and then build a, build a whole marketing plan around it. And then even after that, there's a certain level of getting them excited. So even once we sign the book deal, there's a certain level of getting them excited about it because they have hundreds of books that are going to be new around this time. And so, you know, I really had to spend a lot of time thinking through a marketing plan, not, not the high level marketing plan of like, here's the 15 places we're going to speak this year, but like they want to know, cause they want to get their sales rep sales reps fired up. What emails are going out on which days to whom, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to buy billboards? Are you going to do radio? Are you going to do TV? Are you going to do podcasts? What are you going to do? And so, um, I'd create a deck and basically create a presentation to walk through them to give to their sales team only with the goal of getting them hyped up and be like, wow, this seems amazing. This company's behind it. Okay, yes, we're going to go push this. And and as a result, we've gotten more funding from them. We've gotten, you know, they're spending more on on ads. Uh, you know, they're, they're spending more on Amazon ads for us now than they were two months ago. They're giving us more support in stores and window displays and all this stuff. And so that was a crazy lesson because... That's actually something that we care, you know, I personally care so much about at a company, which is I think that internal marketing is the most underrated marketing channel because I think if you can't, not I think, I believe, if you can't get the people inside of your own company fired up about the thing that you're doing, how on earth are you ever going to get somebody on the outside to do it? And so it was, so so we have like something at Drift that we call show and tell where on Fridays, the whole company shuts down from four to five, every team, one person presents their thing. And I always take that, if it's my turn, I always take that very seriously because I want to get people fired up. So basically just took that, applied the same thing to Wiley and said, I want you to, here's what, I want to get your your people fired up about this book, go and take it and go. One of the questions I have, you hinted at the marketing and not just like getting their people fired up, but you guys have to market the book. Now, it's that is some people's full-time job and they hire teams or have teams, whether they're a publisher or an author, to do that. And oh my God, what a problem it is at any company to get somebody to promote this latest podcast episode because they have other agenda items to promote, let alone a freaking book. So how do you not just like drop everything your, your team is doing as VP of marketing and have them just promote the book or, or do you like, how do you reconcile that? It's just a her- Herculean task. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because, because at the same time, like, you know, people are incentivized to do whatever you incentivize them to do. And so if I say, we're going to promote this book, then they're going to be like, but where are the leads going to come from this month? Whereas like the book is clearly a longer play, right? I, I can't, measure today that X people who bought this book then turn into customers today. I don't know that yet, but come on, somebody's buying the book that we wrote. Like you don't like there's no better bet that I would take that that person's going to become a customer. So, um, we've kind of thought about it in a couple different ways. So number one is it is everybody's job because it's such a big deal that we, we can't expect that all year, but the book is officially in stores on January 30th. And so we're basically, we, we come up with themes for the marketing team every month. And so February, the month of February, January 30th through February is going to be conversational marketing month. And granted that is our product. And so like every day is kind of conversational marketing day, but it's going to be specific to the book. And so that is like, you know, designers are going to have to work on landing pages and banners and email signatures and ads and email, you know, email people are going to have to 
queue up campaigns for this. And so everybody's bought in that this is going to have to be some slice. But honestly, the best marketers are able to just to to prioritize and, and juggle. Hey, okay. I might be on the demand gen team, but I got to help out and, and do my piece and promote the book. And we, we run it that way. Um, but on top of that, also, I think uh, I went out and, and, and studied, not really studied, but inter, you know talked to a bunch of people who've done books at companies before. And they all kind of said the same thing. Like there's got to be one, really one person that's running the process behind the scenes. And so uh, I'm lucky that the team is amazing and they all run kind of the day-to-day marketing where I'm taking on the brunt of like, you know, the marketing plan, all that stuff. I, I'm the single person to do it. And then my job is to go get the rest of the marketing team fired up to help us promote it. With book marketing, um, in very many ways, it's almost like marketing a movie. You see like on you know, the late night show, you see all the celebrities come out when they have a movie to promote. On the podcast, you see all the authors come out when they have a book to promote. There are some similarities. And therefore, I think you can see like a, almost like a checklist emerging of like, these are the things mm. that you, you kind of just do, right? Like you appear on the podcast, you send emails out, you, you know, social media promotion, et cetera. There's another sure. bucket though, where it's like a bespoke creative approach to like one-off concepts, ideas, like things that somehow tie back to the book. And, you know, like the really crude version or example is like, random giveaways around the book like you see some business authors i think probably inspired by gary v do the barter it's like i will do you this favor if you buy this many books that's like one example so what's in drift's second bucket of like we kind of concocted these ideas for this book yeah so i mean that what you said is like that was our that was our challenge which is like we don't want to do marketing like everybody else does marketing. And so, yes, there is this cookie cutter approach that you should take. It's the best practice stuff. And, you know, there's actually uh, whatever best practices. I think we, you know, we've, we've talked about this. I think we have the same opinion on it, which is like, if you told marketers at the best time to send an email is two o'clock on a Tuesday, most people would go send an email at two o'clock on a Tuesday where I want to find the 9 p.m. on Saturday night because I'm not afraid to send an email at that time because I think people are going to be there because there's less noise. So we're always trying to think of like, how can we rewrite the playbook and, and figure out how we're going to market this book? And, you know, there, there's a bunch of different ones. Like we we have a massive uh billboard in Times Square that is playing a looping video promoting promoting the book. And by the time this episode will have aired, um, we are going to New York for the day and we invited 300 customers in New York to come meet us. And so my plan, if you're listening, when you listen to this episode or whenever it's out, you will have seen footage of us and hopefully swarms of people in drift gear with the book t-shirts whatever and it's really cool because it's just a that's a that's a stuff that like that alone is going to give us footage for for weeks and we're gonna we're gonna vlog the whole thing and so we'll we'll vlog the whole trip from new york to boston to people that we meet to going into the stores and buying books and because i think that we want to just still be us and be on brand and in with it so um that's a big one. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, actually. Like my the the number one ch- marketing channel that I'm going to lean on as a marketer is is the the people at Drift and and the cus- and the customers that we have. And so yeah, we'll we'll do contests and we'll run something like hey buy you know buy a copy of the book, send me a screenshot of the receipt, and I'll enter you in a contest to win like a VIP all access trip to Hypergrowth where we fly you in, we put you up in a five star hotel, all that type of stuff. Um, but it's also the, the, to me, really, this this is so important because 
this is the hard work. We've now done the hard work of, of nailing down this story. And I'm actually most excited because this is going to feed our content marketing efforts for the next year, two years, whatever. We're like, we didn't just write this book and then we're going to be done with it. Like, I'm going to chop this book up into 15 different pieces and it's going to be videos and podcasts and interviews and 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 decks and speaking and clips and two-minute videos and, and, okay, we'll give you away a chapter for free on the blog because I want to give you a taste of it. And and so it's really, it's the culmination of, of, of you know, I hope it's going to be the content marketing strategy for, for this year and next year and beyond, right? It's, it's a big piece. We already did the hard work. People underestimate. So one of my favorite uh, authors, thinkers, um, I'm proud to call this guy now a friend, is Shane Snow, uh, co-founder of Contently out of New York. And so he wrote, has written two books, actually, both of which are awesome, Smart Cuts and Dream Teams, which was last year. And he talked to me about, I asked him, why are you writing about the pitfalls and how to build great teams, like what, you know the ups and downs and how to do it well. And he was like, well, number one, I think this book matters, right? It's like creating the book and then shipping it. He's like, just doing that matters. And he's like, number two, and this is what most people miss, which is exactly what you're speaking to is, I was comfortable and even excited by the prospect of basically only talking about this idea for the next like five years. Totally. Totally. That 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 to me is like the point that I and I almost missed that because I got I got caught up in the hype of like of the of the book, right? Like of like the oh, this is a book. We now must market it like a book. What do people do who 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 market books, right? I'm just trying to like if I go to if I go to a random chapter, okay, chapter chapter fifteen, continuing the conversation, the importance of talking to your customers. That is that will be evergreen forever. The, the things might change in it and it might well, in 20 years we might be you know outdated like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to uh, an audio book right now Good to Great which is a classic business book I just haven't read it yet and all the examples are like you know he's talking about Circuit City and all these stuff but I'm, that doesn't diminish the quality of the book and the lessons and so I think of that I think all of the stuff that we have in this book is evergreen or, or can be updated right um Joey Coleman, who's an author and a speaker and uh, author of the book, Never Lose a Customer Again, he likens this process of writing a book as you actually are running a marathon to then reach the beginning of another marathon. <laughs> right. Because you're putting out, totally. you're doing this huge thing, which is shipping a book into the world. Totally. totally. And then you have to go and promote the book into the world. So I, I, re- I remember that. I remember sending them the, uh, we sent them over the book and it was like, woohoo. Oh, wait. And they're like, great, this is like, this is, you're not even at, at the first, you know, you're not even ready to go yet. Now what's the plan? Yeah. I'm like, what's, um, what's the plan? We wrote the book. We'll tell you later. We figured it out. Um, so, so I think it's just gotta be, it's gotta be a piece of everything that you, that you do. Yeah. But honestly, it's gotta be good. It has to be good. If the book is not good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it, what people, whatever people say about this book is going to be 10 times more valuable than whatever we say from a marketing perspective. And so, right. you know, I'm, I'm praying for, for good, uh, good reviews on Amazon and, and, and clips on social because like, that's the best way to market something is, is to, Hey, here's what people are actually saying about this. And by the way, they're going to say it in ways we always say at Drift, we say like, it's not a saying. We just say like use their words and their words meaning like whatever somebody says back to you about what you are and what you do, that is the best copy you can find. Like the best headlines, the best whatever stuff we've written has always come from somebody else. And I think this book gives us an opportunity to have more people kind of spitting this story back to us and figuring out like, oh, what? okay, yeah, we should say it that way. That's really yeah. interesting. It's funny. There's all these, there's a very blunt instrument way to measure the success of a book, which is 
sales, right? And you can also measure, I guess, ratings. Um, I My focus with my book, since I'm not trying to, I am an author, but I'm not trying to make my money on selling books. So I don't care about, let's say, selling a million copies. That would be an ego play. What I do care about is a million people reading a copy of my book, right? And I imagine you guys sell software, you don't sell books. And so I imagine it's very similar for you guys. And so the way I measure the success is very similar to the way I measure the success of a podcast episode. It's like, you spent significant time with my best ideas or best work. So I'm gonna look at an invented acronym, I made this up, URR, unsolicited response rate. If you read my book, and you don't have, if you're not compelled to say something about it to someone else, and easily right now you just tweet it or whatever, there's low friction there, then I'm, I did something wrong, right? So mm. I'm looking for those unsolicited responses. Sounds like that's what you're looking for as well, right? And so my question to you is, you were heavily involved in it. You were very much like either writing it or working with Eric to write it and also working with the marketing team to market it. How do you get the rest of the company to feel the pride that you will just intrinsically feel about it? So yeah, there's pride in being like, we did a book, we congratulations. But then there's the stuff that happens after when people are reading it and excited about it. You mentioned internal marketing. How do you get the rest of the team to continue to feel proud about what should be this ongoing result? Yeah, I think one thing that I care a lot about is uh, is is those things, whatever you call them, the URR things, and and I actually like would keep a I keep a swipe file in Evernote of just things that people have said, and anytime we present in front of the company or other people, I try to use what they're saying, and so like something as little as like taking a screenshot of a tweet, like we do this big book launch, right? We're gonna we're gonna report back to the company on on how we did, how many podcast interviews we did, how many press mentions we got how many whatever how much traffic whatever how many people bought the book but this the the, my my money slide in that deck is always what people are saying and it's a screenshot of what somebody said on linkedin and what somebody said on twitter and and a review on amazon those are the things when people see that for whatever reason two two three comments about somebody who's like this book changed my career as a marketer always mean more to people inside of the company than somebody who says and we got 15 articles written about us because it's it's real it's a real yeah. person and that that connection is is always so important yeah it's funny it's we we when we build products we always optimize for retention we build content, we always optimize for acquisition, which is a little bit faulty, right? Like you have some moments of grabbing attention, but uh, then I think the new marketing mandate is you have to hold it. And what holds a, a book, a attention better than a book? A book worth reading, right? Not just like you said, stretch a blog post to a book, nah, but have, have a methodology, have a big idea, and most importantly, have uh, this individual piece and project, a book capable of creating change in the reader. That's what books do. Right, So unless you, you think you have something that can create a change in the reader. In fact, I no longer ask people in business shows, what does your company do? I ask what changes when a customer comes on board. Mm. And it's funny how many people actually have no answer to that. Because they don't know. They don't know. They're like, I don't know, yeah. we sell this, this thing. Now they can do the thing the product does. Okay, yep. then what happens, right? Totally agree. Um, all right, story time. So I don't know, what was the most frustrating part of this whole process? feeling like we only had one shot at it like because at some point there's got to be some end because you have to ship it the hardest part is to wrangle like what should be what's in chapter one what's in chapter two what's in chapter three why do we say this why ultimately somebody's going to pick up this book and be like why did you guys use this example here versus this other example and i think it's fine we the hardest part is just to make it make a decision like oh my god we're writing the book on this thing this has to be the one that we want to use, right? We're like, 
I can make a million podcast episodes and on, on my own doing, I can write a million blog posts, I can make a million videos, which I control. Now that this thing is printed and there's thousands of copies that we've printed and people are buying, like it's there. There's no, there's no edit. There's no like taking it back. And so it's the ultimate, like, you know, people get afraid to ship something. This to me was the ultimate, like, whoa, once we like press go on this, like there is no like, oh, we can just change that. If it's a controversial headline, people don't like it. We'll, we'll update it. Right. There, there was none of that. There was none of that. It is very, it's an existential crisis in some ways. I remember like you work on this thing for so many months, or at least I did with my book. And then there's a moment in time, like literally a single moment where you hit a send button and you're like, I can no longer work on that thing. Yeah. And it's, it can be petrifying. And just, I, I've had, you know, I've had multiple conversations with David who, um, you know, he's the CEO and, and founder of Drift and, and really helped start this whole thing, you know, about like what what things do we want in it versus not or, or like what, what should we say? Because the hard part is now I can tell you already five things have changed since we wrote the book because things just move so fast and things are happening. But I think it's you got to you got to be able to pick some pick a point in time and, and write things in an, in an evergreen way where it doesn't matter if, if that's not the word you use anymore or if that thing has changed. And so I think like having a writing a book with a growing and changing business was it was a challenge but I, but I think we we landed somewhere in the middle where it's it's enough evergreen that that will hopefully be helpful for a lot of people yeah there I think there are two ways to take a concept an idea a, a collection of ideas and uh, get them out into the world you can do what I call an idea tour or an idea journey so an idea tour is like it's it's right now it's in the book but we're gonna take it out of the book and make it a blog post and I'm gonna talk talk about it on a you know stage somewhere you you bring it around. It's a tour. Um, the journey is like, here's this concept. We don't have all the answers. We have some ideas and some hypothesis that we're going to test and a lot of questions. Let's go deeper, right? The process of writing a book is an idea journey. And then usually the promotion is like an idea tour. So what, like you only get 45 minutes on a stage. You only get half an hour on a podcast. You can't present the whole damn book, right? So you present the change, you present the big stuff, and then you're going to be like, all right, well, to zoom in, this right like what are the sound bites or specific ideas that you're like we got to give this more airtime because it's super important and the exercise of writing the book codified it in our minds so, so so i'll give you one i think a lot of people see conversational marketing and they see what we talk about a lot which is like generate leads book meetings more sales but the 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 examples we were able to pull out for this which which people don't notice until later is here's an example you you, uh, somebody, this is a real example from one of our sales reps. He's sitting on the couch at nine o'clock on a Tuesday night. Somebody goes to the website. He says, Hey, what's up? I'm Scott. And the person's like, Hey Scott, like I actually was interested in drift, but it doesn't look like that you, it doesn't look like you integrate with Slack. And so it's not going to work for me. And he's like, Whoa, no, no, hold on. I, we do. And he has a 30 minute conversation via his phone on the couch with this person. And she ended up booking a meeting with him the next day. It's stories like that where like, the value there is actually having a conversation for 30 minutes with somebody where that doesn't happen if you fill out a form, for example. You either fill it out or you don't. This was an example of somebody being genuinely helpful. And that's kind of like the common thread that we're able to show in all these examples. Whether you're like, you want to you want to use conversational marketing to run your webinars, great, let's show you how it works. You want to use it to run your events, great, we'll show you how it works. So you want to use it for your blog, great, we'll show you how it works. Where the example is not just capturing leads. I think that's what people see on the surface, but... Imagine you could imagine you could talk to every single person that walked into your store. Wouldn't you do that as a business owner? 
Hell yeah, I would. I want to know out of all the stores in the world, why are you in mine? (laughs) Right? Like everybody is so busy today. Why are you here talking to me? Especially in the world that we're talking about, which is B2B. Right. Nobody, nobody is just casually, nobody's laying in bed on a Saturday morning browsing a B2B company's website. Like you are there for a reason. And I think this book shows you like how the mission should be to have, imagine this. The mission in marketing is to have as many conversations with the people who are interested in your business as possible, not to generate leads, not to book more meetings, not to close more deals, but to have conversations like that's the most powerful thing. And I think that's the piece that often gets missed when we just talk about conversational marketing at, at, at a sales and kind of surface level. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, what did it feel like to hold a physical copy for the first time? Uh, I actually, this actually just, they just came in today. It feels great, except this first batch, the cover, the cover is a little bit short. And so there's a, there's a, there's a border. So (laughs) that is, by the way, that is the most DG slash drift answer ever. It's like, oh, so awesome. Okay. So, but this right here, we can improve. It's a gift and a curse. It really is. It's a gift (laughs) and a curse. Um, The book feels amazing. It smells amazing. The it, smell. It, it does they don't feel, tell you about that. They don't tell you about the smell. The smell doesn't smell like my house. It smells like this book. It, it does feel amazing to, to 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 see it and to feel it and to and to hold it and and to have the books came in today. I posted a picture in our company Slack and like ten people have like, can I get a copy? Can I get a copy? I'm like, just come by my desk, just take one. Um, it's cool. Definitely something that we're super proud of. There's also very few things in your life that change what you are. Like right now, you happen to be VP of marketing at Drift. Your title can change. Your company can change. You're not really, that's not what you are. You are Mm -hmm. a father. You are Mm -hmm. uh, Dave. You are an author. Does that mean anything to you beyond it helps promote Drift? Um, No, it doesn't. Because I I think it, 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 to me, I I don't know. I just have never thought about it like, (laughs) I never thought about it like that because... I'm kind of frustrated because there's so much there's so much BS in in the marketing world where author doesn't necessarily mean anything important. So you wrote an ebook, you gave you gave a speech at General Assembly. Now you're a keynote speaker. That whole thing, right? Right. Like there's, yeah. You, you and and now that's your profile picture, and so everybody thinks that you speak a lot and you're on stage. So um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. But I, I think of I like being a marketer more than an author because I think it, th- those are all related. If you, you have, just have to figure things out. You think about the decisions you had to make to, to come to this book. Um, you know, thinking back to moments of debate, what's a decision where you, it could have gone either way, you, you chose it, you're glad you chose that, and then you have any, you're like, actually, to do it again, I would have chosen differently. Okay, I got a good one for you, Jay. The cover. So you, you just give me a hard time about this little margin and the drift thing ever. Can you imagine how much time we spent on the cover? <laughs> Like, okay, the cover had, it, we had a version that had DC's face on it, uh, which I liked a lot. I liked a lot. The, the, the advice that we got from the publisher was don't put somebody's face on it unless it's like Obama's face, right? Which I didn't agree with that and I don't agree with that today because I think having a book, a face on a book is like, and it was like half his face. It was like, who's that guy? But anyway, um, we we came we revved on it a bunch and and we we landed on a good title, I think a great title, and and just a simple like, 
image that appeals to everybody. The hardest part for me as a marketer was thinking like 10 levels up and thinking about like, you know, that woman in an airport in Iowa who is walking by a Hudson News and sees this book at the front of the store. What is going to be interesting to her? Not what's interesting to me, who's a nerd in this space, not what's interesting to you, but to her. And I think that's, we had to, we had to try to like elevate all that. So, so the nitty gritty of the, of the cover was like, was a heck of a process. Um, and just like it made me sweat every, cause it's a book. It made me sweat every word. What is this? What does a spine look like? What is, you know, what is going to be on the back? What is going to be on the inside cover? It was like a, a lesson in, a, in attention to detail. What would you have done differently? I think, I think if we could have done it differently, I would have, I would have wanted to when I had a little bit more time to go out and like go on site and, and go in deep and go in depth and interview three, four, five people, customers, whatever, and let them tell their stories as part of this book, as opposed to like pulling out stats and, and quotes and stuff. I think it could have been, um, you know, we, we could have told it from that perspective. Also, I think, you know, it's, it's the, the other challenge is like doing a book for a business. We, the book can't, as important as the book is, the book can't be the only thing that we do this year. Uh, so I think it's like figuring out how we're how to balance the marketing and the promotion of the book with everything else that matters. And I think if that wasn't the case, you know, there there's an opportunity to do a lot more interactive type stuff. Like um, one of my favorite books is called "Hey Whipple, Squeeze This." I don't know if you've ever read that. It's a great book about advertising, and the whole book is like they give you an example and then they tell you to go to this website and go to this page. And it's actually really well done and, and it's super interactive. I thought that was a really cool experience, which is not out of the picture, but it's something that we could do. Um, yeah. And then a lot of people had the idea of like, we should have had Morgan Freeman do the audio book, but we weren't able to budget him in, in time. <laughs> so final question here. So we've spoken a lot offline but also on this interview you brought this up a bunch there's so much crap swirling around the marketing world so much copycat thinking you know letter of the law execution someone said this works so i'm just going to do it blindly let's prevent that when someone is listening to this interview eventually they're going to be thinking okay i admire drift i admire dave what i should write a book what are the signs that point to the fact that like actually maybe you should maybe you're actually ready to write a book um, are people asking you to write a book? Like, honestly, we wrote the book because people were saying, you guys should write the book. You should write the book. You should write the book. Like, enough people asking is like a great, like, it's, it's why I love testing ideas on social and just saying something and seeing how many people respond. And if it's interesting, like, would anybody get value out of blank? If 10 people respond to that tweet, I'm going to go do that thing. It's such an easy way to, to test it. And so, you know, we That's were, URR. That's like you're putting something out there and people are responding with passion. Totally. And it's not a million people, but you're like, okay, I'm on to something. I'm going to go deeper yep. or build something larger. It's just enough. It's just enough. You can launch with three people, whatever. Yeah. And then three becomes nine and that doubles into 18 and you just you just go. So people were asking for the book. How about like inter- internally? Are there any internal signals of like the things you've been working on, the marketing, et cetera? Yes. So what one pain that I felt was, there was not like one thing that I could give you or send you or have you go to. It'd be like over and over. We'd be like, here, here are like the eight best best articles we've written over the last three years. Here's an email. <laughs> it was like, wait a second. This kind of could be a book. What if this was a book? And I, I think you talk to a lot of people. 
you know, you wrote a book. Like I, I think most people that have written books, it's not just like a, a two week period where you sit down and just write for me, at least writing and thinking is always this like combination of like, I start here and then I might write this here and then I put this thing here and it, and then becomes stitched together. And that's the same way that we, that we went through the book. So I think if you, if you are, don't go out and write a book because it's, it's, it's not a fun process uh, for anybody, but if you, if you have people asking you to write a book or you have an idea that has been already tested that you think is going to change the world, like do what great comics do, right? Like they go to five, 10 different clubs and very small places and they test their stuff in bits and pieces. And nobody complains when you then go see the comic on a big stage. Like I've already heard this before. Well, yeah, no kidding. Cause somebody had to hear it. Right. And, but 99% of the people haven't. And so I think if you have the, if you have an idea to write a book before you write it, don't, don't do it yet. Go and take your next three, four speaking opportunities and talk about the thing that you would write a book on. How did, how did that go? How did people respond to that? And then maybe come back and revisit and say, Ooh, okay. I changed this or this was, this went over really well. I'm going to go try this. To me, a book is a gift, and the best gifts in the world come from, I heard you say something, and here's some here's the gift. Whether it's the thing I heard you asking for, you saw it in the window, or it's like, I know you like this, Dave, and I got you this thing along those lines. Mm. That's what makes a great gift. It's not, hey, on a whim, I bought you this. I have no idea if you're going to like it. But that's how most people act with the content and with their books, and it's insanity. The stand-up comedian thing, that is the best possible analogy for lots of content, and a book is the culmination. The book is the Netflix special. Totally. That's a great, that's a great analogy. It's a Netflix special. You've heard it before. Maybe, maybe a handful of people have heard it before, but also those people, those are your real fans. Those are ones who then want to go see it again. So it's totally fine. On a scale of zero to 10 with 10 being the most fun thing you've ever done at Drift and zero being the thing that would cause you to leave Drift. Where was the book process for you? (laughs) Zero DC. I'm out. Um, no, it was, so it was probably like a seven, because hypergrowth to me, our conference was a nine or a ten. Because the only difference is everything is similar. The only difference is there is not that feeling of walking into a venue and seeing thousands of people show up like in person, which you don't get with a book, right? I can see how many people bought it, and it's just still looking at a number. It's the reason I love speaking, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Just like it, it doesn't matter when it, when it's in person, it's just so much different. When you when you speak in front of ten people or two hundred, doesn't matter. So hypergrowth is number one. The 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 book is definitely number two, um, and and it's it's number two because it's just it's been a lot of fun to just figure out to keep learning and marketing and say okay, you've done a bunch of different things. Now you have to figure out how to create and market a book. This special edition episode of Exceptions was written and hosted by me. And while we're on the topic of books, head over to Amazon and check out Conversational Marketing from Drift. And while you're there, pick up a copy of my book, Break the Wheel. It's a book about how to question conventional thinking to make better decisions faster. That's Conversational Marketing and Break the Wheel. As always, we'll be back with another episode about a B2B brand that we believe is the exception based on how they built their brand. But the dirty secret behind this whole show is if you proactively build yours, well, you can be one too. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I'll talk to you on the next episode of Exceptions. See ya.